HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Did you ever have those questions that kind of float around in your brain? Like when were potato chips first produced commercially or how much is my old cookbook worth? Or maybe what was Abraham Lincoln's favorite food? We're going to find, tell you how you can find the answers to all those questions today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and I, I had to chuckle when I was going through a list of questions because one of the questions I was going to mention, which I'd love to hear the answer to, is how do I become a food historian? Huh, that's always been a big one. <laughs> um, and not an easy, easy path or answer. And who I, I'm going to be speaking with somebody who really is an expert at answering these varied questions from all over the place, and that is Lynn Oliver. Lynn is a food historian with a master's in library science. She's a reference librarian at the Morris County Library in New Jersey. And since March 1999, she has been the, I guess you'd call it curator, because she is the creator also, of the Food Timeline, foodtimeline.org. It is an incredible site where you can find a, a running line of food in history as well as answers to any of those strange questions that might float through your head. Uh, let's see, what um, what designates a national food holiday or, or something like that? But anyway, Lynn really has um, done an incredible job of putting together a concise history of food and continues adding to it. And I welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I 
I just, I mean, I'm, I'm smiling the whole time that I'm, I'm talking about what it is you do because I love your website and it has helped me many times when in a pinch you need a quick answer and you don't have time to go and do all the, the research and questions. But tell me, how did this get started for you? Well, it turns out it's the perfect um, marriage of my profession. I'm a professional reference librarian, and I'm a foodie. And uh, back in March of 99, I was writing a newsletter for the reference librarians in Morris County, New Jersey. And every month, I got to pick a hot topic. And in that particular month, I decided on food history. Mm. And I was inspired by James Traeger's Food Chronology, right. which is a uh, book that the library had recently acquired. And I took a look at that, and I said, well, what if we could do something like that online? And uh, did some research. And back in 99, there weren't a lot of websites out there um, with a lot of information. There were some uh, agricultural extension services and things like that. So that's really um, where it started. And over the years, I got asked questions that could not be answered by other organizations. So I started digging and providing my own content. (laughs) uh, When I fell in love with food history. Uh huh. Well, you say over the years. Now you you did do some uh, some counting, as you say, as most librarians do. They always keep count of things, right? Yes, we do. (laughs) Since 1999, so to date. You have answered how many questions? Almost 25,000. And you have over 30 million online readers. Correct. Wow. And and that's since we first started counting. That's only from 2004 to present, so Uh it's a little higher. Oh, yeah, that that was five years that you missed there. (laughs) Yeah, and it was interesting because um, when when the food timeline began, it was one page, you could print it on one eight and a half by 11 page. That was the back of this newsletter. Now, if you print out the food timeline index page, it's nine printed pages. There are 70 web pages all together. So hmm. when people look at it and say, it's your web page, it's really a lot more, a lot more than one page <laughs> complicated than that. And then for the heck of it, last night, I took a look at the uh, one of the topical pages on meat, because that's the biggest one. If you printed that out, it would be 282 print pages, and wow. that kind of floored me because I had no idea that thing had grown so big. <laughs> well, now, um, for our listeners who maybe have not gone on to uh, foodtimeline.org, describe the site for us, like how the timeline works and the links and the, your question and answer service. Sure. Sure. The primary page is... Um, is devoted to uh, um, putting food in chronological order and um, trying to give people an idea of the juxtaposition of when certain foods or certain recipes and dishes first came um, you know, became available. And it has uh, generated a lot of interest over the years. I get a lot of people who are you know, constantly saying, okay, I... I I see what you have, but this is what I'm after. And because I'm a reference librarian, I'm, this whole site is is completely not-for-profit. There is no ad partnership. Um, I invite questions, and, um, and that's how the site is built, basically. It's on what people have asked for in the past. Hmm. Well, and you have not only when the food first appears, as we know, in history, but then you have when it first appears in writing? 
I, I try to get that as much as possible mm-hmm. um, because I'm a reference librarian. I, I believe um, in documentation. I like to see it in print. And so it's interesting. One of the things I do is I take scholarly works and I kind of deconstruct them so that you or uh, you know um, another scholar can read uh, the original um, the original documentation and make your own decision as to how a food uh, came together. That is well, one part of it that I really do appreciate, and I, and I think is a wonderful service. And this is not just so the listeners don't think that you have you didn't sit down and and come up with original material for all those thousands of pages, um, because if you went to each citation for every food, it would indeed be, I don't know how many pages, but uh, you do quote and give links to, uh, to references and, and print those, those sources. In the exactly. Site, in I, I, say, I cite everything back to the original content, the original book, the original um, edition and direct page number, uh, because what I'm trying to do here is give you a starting point for conducting your own research. And, uh, and more and more, I'm actually getting rid of outside links because I find that they're unreliable, mm-hmm. and not with the content, but webmasters are constantly moving things around. And I find it very frustrating for myself and for my readers when you click on something and you get a, a, a 404 or, or um, you know, the, the site doesn't exist anymore. Right, right. So. Well, the Culinary Historians of New York... Um, I have to say, do rely on you as well for because we get a lot of people writing into our website asking questions, and you are one of the resources that we list on on the Culinary Historian website. So um, thank that's, you. That's very helpful. <laughs> uh, you one of the other things that I think is, and this leads into, um, I guess, technology because technology has has advanced so that uh, it's it's really had an impact on your site. But you now. Uh, offer digitalized sources and cookbooks that before this time we could not have access to on the Internet. And that is a fabulous, fabulous resource for scholars. Um, the, the sites I have are, there are a number of um, universities and, and libraries and organizations uh, which have spent a lot of time and money uploading uh, digitized cookbooks. And um, universe, Michigan State University's Feeding America is one primary example. Right. Um, they, and there are other sources as well. New York Public Library's Digital Menu Collection which keeps growing and adding new primary content is is absolutely wonderful. Um, the flip side of that is that as scholars and librarians, we realize that there is one, generally one edition of a particular book that is digitized and saved for everybody, and different books have different versions and editions. So we just have to keep that in mind. This is a good place to start, but it is not the end. Right, right. Well, and and is, if anyone who's done research knows that that uh, books and information it, are updated over the years, and what we thought was, you know, was gospel in in let's say 1984, suddenly mm-hmm. you know new information has come about, and and it changes. So it's a it's a constant changing uh, resource. It's a moving target. Yeah. It's a moving target. And one of the things I, I try to 
uh, help people understand is it's not always necessary. You know, the primary focus on food history is not necessarily um, identifying that one print index, that one print reference, uh, because it will be backdated. And somebody will unearth another resource that will come online or um, be discovered in the, you know, in the archives of some library. So, um, you know, appreciate the food within the context of the place and the period and the people. Right. Well, it's a work in progress constantly. Yeah, perfectly, perfectly stated. It's a work <laughs> in progress. And that's what makes it wonderful. I get people who um, send me information all the time, um, you know, with with um, uh, other creation stories or um, older um, you know, older recipes. And it, as long as it's vetted, as long as it's credi- credited to the source, and I'm like the people from Missouri, I want to see it, scan it, <laughs> send right, it to me, right. don't just tell me. Um, and then I will use that and I will um, backdate. So hmm. I, I love it when, when uh, you know, the patrons of the food timeline are interactive that way. Well, I'm looking at the uh, the the home not the homepage, but the food timeline itself on online right now. And aside from water and ice and salt, uh, we move down. Um, so the beginnings of the very beginnings, we mm-hmm. start with with uh, seafood, with uh, shell food, shellfish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then move down to it's interesting that fish, and then mushrooms and greens and eggs. And bear and vent. I mean, this is, you cover everything. Well, <laughs> uh, and here's the thing. A lot of these foods, if you take a look at them, water and ice and shellfish, they were here when, you know, be- before prehistoric man was here. So yeah. there is really, that's How do you assign no a date? There. Right? <laughs> yeah, and then when you get down to the, you know, the, the, the BCs and stuff like that, um, that, you know, that's based on what scholars have said. So when I pick a date, to hinge uh, a food on, it's always backed up by a scholarly source. Right. And it, and sometimes I have two or three dates, and I do the best I can to pick something I, I feel is defensible. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's that certainly makes sense. Uh, and, like grains and bread. I mean, we know that, uh, you know, in Mesopotamia, there's, you know, grains have been growing forever, and but until they were actually uh, cultivated, and harvest it. I mean, then you have to decide what what date do you assign it, right? And that's that's a that must be a problem at times. Well, it it is a problem at times. At times, and if I can't come up with something I feel is defensible, uh, then I don't add it to the food timeline. But the the chrono- the chronological timeline. But it does get added as content, and that's why I encourage people. Please, I have a. Um, an alphabetical index and a subject index, mm-hmm. and that's linked right from the first page. So if you don't see what you're looking for on that first page, um, please click through to the next one. And there's also a Google site search to make things a little bit easy. Yeah, and then you have you have this wonderful question and answer section, mm-hmm. uh, and it, actually a service is what it is, a question and answer service. So anyone can write in and ask you a question. Now, do you uh- always answer it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Everybody who has written into me with a question has gotten a response, and I do welcome questions from from third graders who are doing state reports and chefs who are uh, recreating historic menus. Culinary students um, are referred to me uh, on a frequent basis because that's part of their training, and. Um, 
teachers, homeschoolers, people who are just interested in food history. Um, one of my favorite groupings of people are um, those who are looking to recover family recipes. Mm. That, that trade usually picks up around the holidays. Yeah, that's, that's a very hot thing right now, too. And to that's wonderful. And I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And as long as you can give me a little bit of context, uh, then I, I have some direction. And I have wonderful, wonderful resources at my fingertips that the average um, library does not have and the average scholar does not have time to service. So mm-hmm. I, kind of, I hope I bridge that gap. Right. Well, now when you say you have fantastic resources, I have also seen that you have over 2,000 um, actual books in the library that you use in your food history library. Yes, it, a.k.a. my living room. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, the only two pieces of furniture now in the living room that uh, do not hold books, actually one piece is the couch. Because <laughs> the piano is a wonderful bookcase. Great place. And the piano bench holds a fabulous menu collection. <laughs> oh. oh, that's interesting. So menus, too. Um, that, and, that, and that brings me to the types of questions. You said one time in, in um, one interview, I think, that the questions generally fall into like one of nine categories. And some of those categories, um, I didn't preview this with you, but I'll help you out here, um, although you, I'm sure you know, are old recipes, mm-hmm. um, recipe origins, historic companies and product information, mm-hmm. general food history, add to it if you the historic menus that's a big one right mm-hmm. period foods and then i love this because this also comes from menus old prices of foods right? and that's one of my passions hmm. i absolutely love studying prices and i have one of the pages i put up is one of the food um, faqs is historic prices and for that I've done a lot of original research and, you know, tracing the prices of Oreos from 1912 when they were introduced to present day. Yeah, I mean, and, that, that leads into so many, you know, a whole economic study and food production costs and, and all kinds of things. I mean, that's, that's really interesting, not to mention inflation. But <laughs> that's, yeah, well, and why, you know, and, and um, uh, cereal boxes, you know, and it's not just the price. You have to look at the unit size and yeah. how is it, have they grown in trunk. And so you have to do a little bit of calculation to get the per ounce price. And wow. um, those pages are used very heavily by um, economics uh, professors, and it's actually linked from uh, Oxford University, which I think is really cool. Yes, yeah, indeed. You also say that you get a lot of questions about um, famous people's favorite foods. I asked that, you know, what was Abraham Lincoln's favorite food? Mm-hmm. What um, Famous people's favorite foods and place-specific food traditions. You know, like where did, you know, I don't know, what, what would that be, for instance? Well, place-specific food traditions, um, generally, you know, somebody is looking for um, state foods or city foods. So, what what is the traditional food for you know for St. Louis? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And famous people's foods, I think, is interesting because it's not what they are served necessarily, but it, generally, it's what they loved as a child. So, if you take a look at a famous person and this is what they were served at a state banquet, they might have hated all of that. <laughs> So you have to really dig deep into biographies and typically in their beginning life where they'll talk about, and, and I've researched Helen Keller and some other you know, uh, 
very interesting, famous people. And Frank, you know, what what were their food memories from their autobiographies? And and pulled that out. And that that is a lot of research, but that is so much fun. Right. Well, we in fact, um, I would like to talk more about how you go into researching these items after we come back from a short break. So stay tuned. Okay. You're listening to Southern Pretender by the Four Lincolns on the Heritage Radio Network. Org. Wake up the children, clear the halls. This is something I've been through before. Not again. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. speaking with Lynn Oliver, the creator of foodtimeline.org. And Lynn, you um, often say, you know, send us your questions and we will answer them. Is there an, a we or no. an us? <laughs> this is a one-woman show. Me and the cat. But um, actually, um, there there is a little bit of truth to that because over the years I have um, made friends and networked with culinary historians and foodways experts throughout the globe. And when I need to consult, they have been very generous with their time. Sandy Oliver, who is up in Illsboro, Maine, is one of the people I – my go-to person for – um, 19th century New England seaways foods. That's great. Okay, so let's. You were talking about the different questions that come into you and how you will delve into the research. Um, and then one of the questions: how you how do you become a food historian? And I loved that because you know I, that question comes up a lot from other people. Um, okay, tell me when somebody asks a question. Let's say someone asks a question about uh, oh. I don't know when did you know when was rhubarb first used in a pie? All right, how would you go about researching that? Okay, um, it, it, again, you know the the process and and the materials I use to research a particular question depend is, is driven by the question itself. If it is uh, a term or a dish or an ingredient I've never heard of before, I use the dictionary. Um, I use. Um, the Oxford Companion to Food and the Cambridge World History of Food and the um, Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, Andy Smith's uh, mm-hmm. wonderful two-volume set. Which you are a contributor to, I'm I've to mention. I've been <laughs> fortunate enough to contribute two articles to the, the current um, issue. And um, it, it really depends upon... What the question is, if it's the first time rhubarb, for example, has been used, I would look in those books to see what the earliest mentions of rhubarb is, you know, 
would be and in which culture and which context. And then from there, I would actually go on to take a look at some of my historic cookbooks. Mm-hmm. and see what shows up. And rhubarb is a wonderful example because back in the day, it wasn't called rhubarb. It was called the pie plant. So that is another reason that food history can be very interesting. You can be staring at something and not know you're actually what you're looking at. <laughs> uh, and you have to know, you know, to continue your research a little further if that, if that word doesn't mm-hmm. come up. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I, I love going through the, you know, the books, the online books. The, the, the digital cookbooks are fabulous because, again, that Michigan State University um, website is my go-to because you can search by item and, and, and ingredient and you can search by recipe title. And that goes from Amelia Simmons up to some of the cookbooks in 19, early 1920s. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then when you get something further back in history, let's like Mesopotamia banquets you have down here um, in, from 1700 B.C. All right, so that involves a different set of books and a different, uh, different type of research. Where do you go for that? Yes, it does. And I have a, a, um, a very good collection of food history culinary texts that are place and period specific. So for that, uh, I use Jan Botero's book, and I can't, I'm sorry, the, the name of the, t- the exact title has escaped me at this point. Um, oh, and, yeah. and when I do the research, I, you know, I, that's part of how the Food Time Library has been built. It's not a random go to, the book, go to a used bookstore and say, I like this one and that one. I look at the bibliographies of those scholarly sources, and I say, yes, all right, this is a book I need to have in my collection so I can review it on a regular basis. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's a question that actually through the show people will write in occasionally and ask me, um, gee, you mentioned some book on one of your shows, and, and what was that? And, of course, I have to think about how many different books have been mentioned on the shows. Um, and you do give a wonderful list of resources on your site. And I think that anyone who's out there listening, if you're wondering, you know, where do I go to research something, you have a lot of great references listed Well, I on do, and I've, and I've also uploaded the, the full list of all of my books. And they're by author and then by title. So if anybody is looking to identify, you know, or recover a, a, uh, a particular recipe, or they are reading the scholarly journal and it is referring to a particular book, feel free to see if I own it. If I do, I'd be happy to scan and send selected pages. I cannot send the entire book, but normally you only need some sections. And um, I'm, because to me, books and information, I'm a librarian, it's all about sharing. That's great. You had mentioned uh, Jean Botero's book, um, and actually, Jean Botero's books are all well are all on Mesopotamia. It's Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, and everyday life in, in ancient Mesopotamia. Just um, I was able to look that up quickly. I knew it had something to do with Mesopotamia. Google is wonderful. <laughs> right, you bet, you bet. <laughs> and sometimes I will tell you. Sometimes I do use Google when I can't. When somebody asks me for something and I have no idea um, what the context is, because that, that will happen sometimes. Um, or it's a term that is not showing up anywhere, um, or if I think it might be a contest question, because uh-huh. and um, very often, uh, you know, if I Google the, the exact sentence the way it is sent to me, I can kind of figure out what it is um, people are looking for. Uh-huh. And I always, always, always try to answer as completely as I can, and if I need more information, I will let you know I, I, I need context. Um, if you're researching grandmothers, 
um, meat recipe, um, what country, what, what, what was her background? because that's going to help me, too. Where did she land when she came into Ellis Island? Where did she go from there? Because right. that might help, too. Right. And we remind people, Google is only a starting point. You use that as a starting point, right? But if you Google food history, which site comes up first? The food timeline. Yay. It's wonderful. <laughs> that's terrific. That is absolutely <laughs> terrific. Uh, okay, so have you, have you been stumped with a question? Absolutely. Absolutely, and and I will. And I'm so glad that you asked that question because if anybody out there knows the answer to this, please let me know. Um, I've been asked um, repeatedly over the years for a recipe for Guildmaster sauce. Hmm. G u i l d m a s t e r. It is mentioned, and I would be happy to send the context if anybody is interested. It is mentioned on some of the old uh, railroad. Menus, the fancy um, dining car menus, mm-hmm. something with Guildmaster sauce. And we are not coming up with a recipe or other references. There you have it, listeners. It's a task for you, the Guildmaster sauce. Guild if anyone Master knows sauce. the answer, right. send, it, it, send it to foodtimeline.org. <laughs> and sometimes I'll do that. I'll use my Twitter feed. If there's something that I need help with, I, I send it out there and, and blast it. And sometimes I get good responses. Um, the the question that, that that stumped me on a regular basis um, are when somebody writes in and they're trying to identify a cookie from their childhood, Ugh. and they can kind of describe it, but there's so many cookies and you know with this using the same maybe four ingredients um, that um, unless it strikes a bell with me, I refer them to Chowhound or you know a, a foodie chat board where where other people who might recognize that cookie. But you know references I mean referring them to another link or another site is if you can't give the answer is so important because people well obviously they don't know where to go and so they're asking you and then to give them those other resources I think is so invaluable. It's just a wonderful service. You also post some recipes occasionally on there on some we have quite a few recipes. Mm-hmm. How do you choose when or when do you choose to post a recipe? Why do you choose a particular recipe and from what sources? Okay, excellent questions. Um, my whole site is really driven by my readers. What is it they want to know? And so generally um, I will post a recipe and post information based on the number of requests. And I do keep track of, uh, of all of that. So if I have a lot of people asking me for um, the history of banana cream pie or you know, caramel cake, that kind of thing, then I realize that that's content that is not out there that needs to be uploaded. Um, I'll also post things of general interest. And sometimes I'll just post things because they really interest me. And I find out that it's just me and nobody else because nobody hits the link. Um, <laughs> Which, which is okay, yeah. because sometimes, I, yesterday I took the entire day off from work because I wanted to uh, research seitan, wheat meat, and foo. Mm-hmm. And I posted it, and I got absolutely no response, so apparently that's just me, but it's out there now if anybody is interested in it. Um, sometimes I'll post information because it coincides with an event. Um, I posted the, um, you know, uh, what kind of food was served on the Hindenburg on uh, the anniversary on Monday, the anniversary of that uh, that terrible disaster, and sometimes we have product you know, uh, anniversaries. But I don't step on 
corporate toes. Um, Coca-Cola does a fabulous job with all of their product histories. I would not even attempt to write that. Um, they get a link. Right, right. Well, it's a, a mammoth production, and I can't imagine the amount of time and work. Do you ever get? A, do you ever give yourself a day off? Well, you know, that old adage, if you do what you love, it's not work. Uh, um, that's I'm great. absolutely, you, you can ask my family and my friends, um, I am a, a woman obsessed with food history, and I've been known to go to restaurants, and all of a sudden, out comes the history of what's standing on my plate <laughs> and everybody else's plate. And um, I pick my vacation spots and my restaurants based on uh, research. Um, I had to eat at Patsy's because I needed to taste their um, lobster fra diablo. Uh-huh. And um, going to Denver, so I'm going to be researching Rocky Mountain oysters. Wish me luck. Yeah. <laughs> and, Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. and, and I'll be going to the fort. So You'll have fun. Yeah, fabulous. that'll be great. Well, your obsession is is our reward, and we are all the more fortunate for all this work that you've done, and certainly is a resource that um, many of us have used and and love knowing that it's there because you never know when you gotta get that quick answer and you or or, or where the bar, it. or settle the bar bet. There you I go. Get those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, and I encourage people to send in their questions or. Uh, use your site as, as I say, as a, a resource and as um, a resource for other references and links to other sites. It is really an invaluable source. It's foodtimeline.org. And Lynn Oliver is the creator and the one-woman curator. And thank you so much, Lynn. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. It was, a, it was my honor. And I remind listeners that this month is Heritage Radio Network's membership month. We are a member-supported network. It's heritageradionetwork.org. So if you go to our homepage and click on the links to donate or how to become a member, you'll get all the information you need. And we encourage you to join so that we can continue hosting terrific programs that you hear round the clock on heritageradionetwork.org. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.